0: Our first reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, beginning with verse 35. As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard a crowd going by, he asked what was happening, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Then he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he shouted even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Immediately, he regained his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it,
1: praised God. Our reading for this morning comes from John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Sometime later, there was a religious gathering of the Jews. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, there is a pool with five porches called Bethesda near the Sheep Gate. Inside these porches lay many sick people. Some were blind, some could not walk, some could not move their bodies. An angel of the Lord came at certain times and made the water move. All of them were waiting for it to move. Whoever got in the water first after it was moving was healed of whatever sickness he had. A man was there who had been sick for 38 years. Jesus saw him lying there and knew the man had been sick a long time. And Jesus said to him, would you like to be healed? The sick man said, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is moving. While I am coming, another one gets in first. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your bed and walk. At once the man was healed and picked up his bed and walked. This happened on the day of rest.
2: Our third reading comes from Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 34. It reads, And a woman who was there, who was subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all the money she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she got worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd to touch his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch the clothes, he will heal me. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she had been freed from this suffering. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who has touched my clothes? The disciples said, You see the people crowding around you, and yet you still ask, Who has touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Amen.
3: Amen. And good morning, friends. My name is Scott Gilliland, and I'm the senior pastor here at Arapahoe United Methodist Church. And I want to thank you for joining us for worship today, whether you're watching in the moment on Sunday morning or if you're watching later during the week. I'm so grateful you've chosen to worship with us. If this is your first time joining us, then I want to encourage you to get connected. If you're not yet receiving our email newsletter, go to arapahoumc.org slash new, and there you can sign up to receive a weekly newsletter from our church, and let us know if you have kids in the home, we want to help equip and resource you as well, and that's the way to get on that newsletter as well. Um, We are continuing this morning in our series called Unmasked, where we have considered how our faith can lead us in unmasking various shortcomings in our culture. This week, we're looking at how our faith can lead us in unmasking justice. The three vignettes from the three different gospels that we just heard each share a common theme. As a country, We are waking up to and engaging in injustices that have long existed prior to COVID, racism, economic inequality, misogyny, educational inequality, lack of access to quality health care, just to name a few. In the same way, Jesus encountered long-suffering individuals in these stories. It offered healing not only to the ones suffering, but also to the communities that perpetuated they're suffering. There's healing in these stories for us as well if we are willing to listen and to act. Now, I am a pretty privileged person. Let me see, I'm a white, straight, cis-Christian male raised by a mom and dad who are still married in a middle-class suburb of a major metropolitan American city that has experienced sustained economic growth for as long as I've lived. My point is this, I'm what you could call a generic privileged white guy. And as a generic privileged white guy, I listen to local sports radio. It's the kind of radio station designed with generic, privileged white guys like me in mind. It's equal parts cowboys and rangers and Mavs analysis mixed in with local news stories and entertainment news and other bits that are just interesting enough to keep me listening, but just detached enough uh, to be an escape from the heaviness of the real world. In mid-May of this year, I was listening to this station, as they were in the second full month of having absolutely nothing sports-related to be able to report on. It was a tough time to be a sportscaster. And that's when the video of George Floyd and his murder surfaced. Naturally, it was the focus of the conversation for their midday show, as hosts grappled with what they had witnessed and the national outrage that would surely ensue. And then that evening, the Drive Time show kept the conversation going with one of the hosts acknowledging that he had been wrong when years earlier, he stood against Colin Kaepernick's kneeling protest at NFL games. And then the next morning, the Morning Drive team uh, show... They, they, they kept the conversation going as well. In fact, conversations around Black Lives Matter, systemic racism, unjust justice systems, and white privilege dominated the station for days on end. I, I kept listening, as did many generic privileged white guys like me, I hope. After about five days, one of the morning hosts acknowledged something that I believe is profound— he said that they had been receiving some comments on social media and through email from listeners frustrated with this sustained conversation around racism. And his response? The conversation was simply different this time because COVID had taken away all the natural distractions. Normally, he said, they would have wedged a story about George Floyd and the national protests in between a segment on the Cowboys training camp and the Rangers early season woes. But this time, there was nothing else to talk about. So they had to talk about racism. I think he's right. One of the reasons we've seen larger protests and greater attention when it comes to systemic racism this summer is because COVID has forced us to focus by stripping away all of the natural distractions. Ever since CNN took to the airwaves and cable news was launched, now with cable news channels that suit whatever your political preference, we've slowly become a country gripped uh, gripped by the 24-hour news cycle where stories are amplified and sensationalized for a momentary maximization of clicks and views, but then just as quickly discarded in favor of the next shareable soundbite. When Jesus approaches Jericho... In the Gospel of Luke, he passes by a blind man. At first, this man asks for Jesus' help politely, but is then told to be quiet by the gathering crowd, the community which has been his inhospitable home for so many years. Clearly, this is not the first time he has heard words like these. I can only imagine the things that have been said to him as people passed by offering perhaps what pitiful pennies they could at his feet. Undeterred, the man cries out even louder. The word that Luke uses here is used elsewhere in his gospel to suggest that the person screaming is possessed. At times by a demon, and yet here by apparently the boldness of the spirit. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He screams with all the years of pent-up invisibility releasing in a moment. So Jesus stops, engages with the man. With only a handful of words, he grants sight. And yet we learn that the man is not the only one who begins to see life differently. All the people, Luke says, all the people when they saw it, began to rejoice in God as well. When they saw it, when they saw what? A man healed of blindness? perhaps. And yet as I read the story this week, I couldn't help but think of generic white guy sports radio and the shift in our national conversation on anti-racism. And I wonder, I just wonder if instead what they saw was the power that comes from a longer sustained look at injustices that have been perpetuated for far too long. The community's initial response to the man is the same one that we offer to those who try and hold our attention beyond the 24-hour news cycle or 30-day Facebook profile picture frame. Be quiet. Get out of the way. You've had your moment. Move on. Out of my immense privilege, how often do I choose to move on from sustained attention and work on injustice? My friends, the greatest privilege is the ability to move on from an exposed injustice. The call of Jesus is to take a sustained look at injustice in a culture of soundbites. I want to acknowledge that the sheer volume of injustice in our world these days can feel overwhelming at times. Some days it feels like the news can barely keep up. But I hear the call of Christ challenging us not to give in to that overwhelm and tune out As a result, rather than following the lead of a sensationalist news cycle, could we instead follow the conviction of the Spirit to focus our attention and our action on a few key areas of injustice? Can we hear the cries of those possessed with desperation? Can we tune out the shouting downs of the crowd? Can we offer healing to the long-suffering amongst us? The second vignette comes to us from the Gospel of John with the story of a man near the miraculous pool of Bethesda. In previous readings, I've noticed the injustice suffered by this man as for decades he has waited for somebody, anybody, to lift him into the pool so that he could be healed. That alone should be enough to give us pause. But this week, I pulled back and acknowledge the injustice present in the system itself. John tells us that there is no small crowd of persons there, each presenting different ailments, all hoping beyond hope to enjoy this first-come, 1st first serve system of healing. The gamesmanship in something that ought to offer hope is not just repugnant, it actually inspires hopelessness. It's a practice built upon the premise that justice and healing and hope are limited resources, only available to the swiftest and shrewdest and best connected amongst us. It's the scarcity mindset applied to a system of justice, and it's a worldview that suggests that some are simply doomed to always suffer, like this poor man waiting on help for decades upon decades, resigned to die with his faithfulness unfulfilled. This is a painfully accurate depiction of how our world so frequently treats justice and equity, but this is not the world that God envisions. For too long, we have believed the lie that justice and equity are limited resources. God calls us to see justice as abundant and equity as impossible until all are freed. In the later verses, we see Jesus' reward for offering this abundant healing, a death threat. Not for healing the man specifically, but for doing so in a way that challenged the assumptions and systems in place. Similarly, in our conversation around equity and justice today, I notice a fear present within those of us in positions of privilege and power. It's a fear based on the scarcity mindset. Simply put, it's folks in power and privilege fearing that when the lives of others improve, then ours will decline. And so we offer hollow words as we acknowledge our privilege. But stop short of actually undoing our privilege because we're scared of what life without those privileges would truly look like. It's an us versus them mentality that we have to shed. As my friend and pastor Marcus Womack says, there is only us. There is no them. Them is a lie. There is only us. As we welcome God's justice and freedom for the long-suffering amongst us, we ourselves are freed. The pool of Bethesda only works for some. How long until you or I have no one to lift us up into the waters? Will we be ready to break the cycle then? If yes, then why not now? This kind of work requires fearlessness. A fearlessness born of an understanding that life in a world shaped by God's vision of abundant justice and equity is far better than one shaped by the Bethesda pools that bless some of us and curse the rest. Let me put a finer point on this if I haven't meddled enough yet. The pandemic has exposed the Bethesda pools of health care in our country. In 2018, there were almost 28 million Americans living uninsured. 28 million. Most of us have our health care tied to our our unemployment to our employment, which is a tragedy when tens of millions of Americans have lost their jobs in recent months? How many who have insurance are uncovered to the point of pointlessness, right? How many people have avoided testing and treatment for COVID-19 simply because they fear bankruptcy inducing bills? We treat healthcare in America like a Bethesda pool where it is simply impossible for all to be well. When in reality, as the wealthiest nation in the world, we have no excuse for not proclaiming to every person, get up, take your bed, and walk. God's justice is abundant, my friends. And it's time we drain the Bethesda pools in our community. Now, if you're not worked up yet, I don't know what to do about that. But let's keep going. Our final vignette comes from the Gospel of Mark features a woman who, like the two men that we've already witnessed, long suffered from a chronic physical condition. But unlike the men, hers generated a uniquely cruel injustice that at first we may not fully see. For 12 years, for 12 years she has hemorrhaged blood. And While it sounds as though she was at once a person of some wealth, she has spent every last penny on medical care and her condition is only worsened. Why would she do that? As a devout Jew, not only would this condition have been spiritually painful, but also mentally, emotionally, and spiritually traumatic as well. As a woman with constant bleeding, she would have been considered impure for religious practices, but also Anyone who came into contact with her would have been considered impure for seven days. This means that she would likely have endured complete social isolation from family and friends for 12 years. After having experienced degrees of isolation for the last several months, can you imagine total isolation for 12 years? To make matters even worse, she would have been told by trusted faith leaders that the source of her suffering was not some physical condition, but rather her own sin. Shame on top of guilt, on top of pain. An all-too-familiar experience for so many in religious communities, not just then, but certainly also today. I was struck by a certain phrase this week after she reaches out to touch Jesus' robe and by faith she's healed. You know, unlike the blind man and the man at the pool in Bethesda, her response is not one of an outcrying joy, but rather of quiet and profound fear. At first she tries to stay hidden. But once she knows that Jesus is aware of her presence, she presents herself to him, as Mark says, with fear and trembling. Why the fear? Why the trembling? Like, like so many statements in our Bible, the true meaning may be just out of reach. But knowing her story and empathizing with her lived experience, I can imagine what generated fear in her where the men found cause for celebration. She feared a community that she had come to know from a distance for 12 years. She had just reached out and touched a respected faith healer, and in the minds of the crowd, she would have made him impure as a result. She couldn't rejoice in her moment of salvation because she so greatly feared the wrath of a religious community that had excluded her in her pain and would hardly embrace her in her healing. When Jesus tells her to be free of your suffering. Is Jesus freeing her from future physical suffering or from the suffering that comes from a religious community that is the very source of her injustices? This story convicted me in my soul this week as I saw myself in that crowd, one of the many who fall into the trap of religiosity, a religiosity that perpetuates injustices like the one endured by this unnamed woman. And just as Jesus will eventually confront the religious community in his day for their share of injustice, Jesus confronts us when our religion is used to bleed people dry of dignity. Before we get all high and mighty as the people of faith called to justice in our world, we have to take a serious moral inventory of our own culpability. How frequently we become the enemy to our own stated cause. If we ever become more committed to protecting a religion rather than following in the footsteps of Jesus, we are in dire need of course correction. My friends, if our religion leads us to avoid, ignore, reject, condemn the suffering amongst us, when religion becomes a source of injustice itself, it is time to reform our religion and rediscover Jesus. Say amen. So I sat and wondered this week, who's the bleeding woman for us today? Who are those persons that live outside our community, beyond our field of view, beyond our care, long-suffering in the lonely places? But that's not an easy answer, because people like the bleeding woman are largely invisible to most of us. Not all of us have eyes to see, and yet all of us see someone who remains largely invisible to the larger community. So the answer, it seems then, is this, to fearlessly ask, who do you see that I don't see? Who are we excluding as an imperfect version of God's perfect vision for the church? Where is their fear and trembling, and what is our response? I've been asking these questions recently myself, and I've been listening to I hope that as your pastor, I can prove approachable with questions like these. This pandemic season has made those who feel unseen or unheard feel doubly so. We're isolated in new and challenging ways. I pray that as you see the bleeding women in your community, you can share your vision with me and our other leaders here at Arapahoe. We aren't a perfect church, but we can be a church committed to offering grace and healing in the face of fear and trembling. In three stories, Jesus shines a spotlight on injustices that have been allowed to continue for far too long. With the blind man, Jesus challenges us to keep a sustained look at injustice in a world full of distractions. With the man near Bethesda, Jesus challenges us to drain the pools of scarcity mindset and inequity, to see God's justice as abundant and each other as inherently connected. And with the bleeding woman, Jesus challenges us to consider how our own religious community produces injustice and to fearlessly ask, Who do we not see? And so, my friends, what will be our response? When the voices cry out, when the suffering is long endured, when the trembling hand reaches out for a touch of grace, will we respond in the mercy and love of Christ by the grace of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Let it be so. Amen.